0: Maybe you have to get over it if you're upset. I got my sandals on. I preached in. Oh, do I need it? Let's try that again. What I'm saying is probably not very good anyway. Am I on now? There you go. That, go. that means go. All right. Well, I, uh, I've been at camp, as uh, Pastor Gary has said, for the last couple of weeks. And uh, how many of you guys like to go camping and do that kind of stuff? I'm at that stage right now where I just can't wait to get home and actually sleep in my bed and uh, just feel really clean again. But I preached uh, last Sunday in Winnipeg and stayed at my mom's place overnight. And then I had some nice clothes, but I left them there. So, uh, I didn't figure it was worth the trip to drive back all the way to Winnipeg with the price of gas here. So, anyway, it's great to be here with you guys. Uh, just a quick comment about my family. Uh, my wife Ev and I, we have now been married 25 years just this June. So, that's quite a thank you. That's not what I. Yeah. I, I actually collected on a $100 bet with my brother. He said uh, when I got married that I wouldn't last a year. You know how young brothers are at that point? And I kept coming after him. I said, after 25 years, you better give me that 100 bucks," And he did. So, uh, And if you have a problem with betting, get over it. Uh, My my daughter, uh, Rachel, is now 20. And she will be graduating this year with a degree in culinary arts and hospitality industry. And uh, she just got engaged about three weeks ago. So I'm, uh, yeah, some of you know that first experience. Sarah is 17 and she is going into her final year of high school and Andrew is 15, entering into high school. So life is uh, busy and the wallet is always open. And it's going to stay open for a while, I think. But yeah, life is good. Listen, I'm just so excited to be with you folks this morning And uh, when Pastor Vern mentioned to me that you guys were going to be doing a a shower after the service and there was going to be food, I just felt like I could talk a little bit about that subject of food this morning. And so the title of my uh, message for you is called Pentecostals Feasting and the Kingdom of God. Now you guys know that Pentecostals, we all love to eat, don't we? Pentecostals love to eat. And what I'm going to propose to you this morning is that for us as human beings to eat is more than nutrition. Now, let's start with nutrition. Though, all of us love a great meal, don't we? Most of us, when we uh, when we cook or when we go out to eat somewhere, we go and we want to have those taste buds. We want to have them uh, nurtured. We want to. We have a. We have a desire. We have a craving, and you want a particular kind of food. Uh, I'm not a great world traveler, but I like to get around to different places. I like to try different kinds of foods. And the the exploration of food is really, really wonderful. However, here's my thesis for you this morning. Listen, to eat is more than nutrition. How many of you guys love to go out for dinner all by yourself and sit in that restaurant staring at a napkin? To eat is an experience. To eat is relational. To eat is to experience one another. And that's what I want to try and propose to you guys uh, this, this morning. Let's talk a little bit about this concept of eating and hospitality very briefly from the first century, from the time of Jesus. If you take a look at the first century, hospitality industry is just emerging. So if you were to read ethics textbooks from the first century, the Greek moralists, the Roman moralists they would start to be talking about how to entertain, how to take care of guests and strangers. And this is becoming big business. Because for the first time in the Greco-Roman world, you're seeing more and more movement of people. People are migrating. Businesses are to infrastructures are developing. You following me? So movement of people. So hospitality is critical. And there's about four or five kinds. I won't take time to delineate them all in great detail, but these various kinds of hospitality that were emerging. Public hospitality. People are coming and going. Commercial hospitality is just starting to take place. The inns, right? How are we going to entertain strangers? And starting to make a business out of these things. There was temple hospitality at this particular point. So people would go from whatever religion they were a part of. They would go to another city. They would, worship, they would go and worship their God. And they would visit the shrines but the people there would take care of their worshipers. Okay? So you had to make sure you, you provided for them and sent them on their way. Business, worship, all this was intertwined. As this goes on, though, one of the things that's really emerging is the need for public hospitality. And the reason is simple. You don't have to be a brain surgeon to figure this out. If you look at places that we go today in our world, oftentimes these places would be... Um, some filthy, they would be filled with bugs, you know, there would be lots of um, immorality that would take place at these um, lodges, these inns, and so what people began to, to recognize is that not only is public and commercial hospitality important, but private hospitality. So how do we take care of friends? How do we take care of fellow individuals? And this is all emerging Think of Jews and the synagogue, and think about early Christianity. Well, as you take a look and continue with that idea, it becomes a primary Christian virtue. And we're going to look into uh, the life of Jesus here in a minute, but it's really quite something if you look at some of these passages that um, Paul, for instance, regularly speaks about hospitality. Be hospitable to one another. Practice hospitality. Conditions, requirements for church leadership. For people aspiring to leadership, make sure that they are hospita- that they are hospitable. Okay, so this is a moral issue for these people to take care of their own. What I want to do is shift a little bit more to uh, to Jesus and to the Book of Acts. Now, this is a Pentecostal church, right? If I remember correctly, and so I want to just start by maybe beginning with the Book of Acts, and uh, that's been my forte the last ten years, I pretty well made a living in the Book of Acts. Uh, someday I should probably start to read other parts of the Bible again, but uh, that was an attempt at humor. Okay, um, but Pentecostals have had a pretty pretty narrow view of the Book of Acts. You know, the, when when you're a kid growing up in the Pentecostal church, the first verse you learn is not John three sixteen; it's Acts one eight. You'll receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so Pentecost becomes this picture of the Spirit coming upon people and thereby being a means by which they're empowered to take the Gospel to the world. And that's great. And that's critical. But I want us to see this morning that I think for Luke, the writer of these texts, of Luke and Acts, I think he has a bigger vision of Pentecost than maybe what we've sometimes narrowly reduced it to. You see, Pentecost, first of all, was a feast. It was a party. People came from all over the planet. They came to Jerusalem to celebrate the goodness of God, to celebrate harvest, to celebrate His provision. And this was not a time where they came and just sat around and didn't enjoy themselves. This was a time of great festivity. If you have any connection to Judaism... One thing you can say for sure about Jews is they know how to celebrate. And it always involves food. My mother has been a caterer and a worker at Sherry Edict Synagogue for 27 years. And every time they get together, there's food. It's rooted in their feasts all the way back to the feasts that we see delineated in the um, in the Pentateuch. So how can we revisit Pentecost a little bit? Here's what I'd like to suggest. Maybe that we see it in a more a context more of hospitality. These people came, Luke tells us, from every nation under heaven. When these people came, they met together. They were Jews connecting with other families and friends. Hospitality would have been a critical issue. This was also an international context. Jews from every nation under heaven. This was God's plan. That the kingdom of God would not be simply reduced to a small group of people, to a small ethnicity, to a small uh, race, but the kingdom of God was going to have an international flavor to it. So Pentecost is really a picture of inclusivity. And inclusivity means relational. It means going beyond who you really connect with typically. It means extending yourself and, and learning the other in ways that maybe we haven't before. And I would suggest that as the 120 were waiting in the upper room, that they may have been, as we're told, waiting, praying, studying. You guys know the story? Just pause there for a minute. Hang on with that. I mean, we read Acts 2 and we go, yeah the Holy Spirit fell on them after 120 days. They didn't know that. Right? They're going, Jesus said, um, go to Jerusalem, wait till you've been clothed with power from on high. What does that mean? I'm guessing that as they were together and were told that they were in unity, they waited, they studied, they prayed, and they ate. Now let's get to something a little more exciting than Pentecost, enlarge it. Now, my apologies. I'm going to talk about Jesus the party animal for a few minutes. I teach 18 year olds, 19 year olds. In a university context, you know, if you don't rattle their cage, they're not going to listen. But do you ever stop and look at Jesus' life? Accused of being a glutton and a drunkard? a friend of tax collectors and sinners. It's maybe not as neat and tidy as we make him out to be. You know, maybe that flannel graph Jesus that we grew up with, who was, you know, always clean and neat and tidy, maybe that's not the kind of Jesus that we see in the in the gospels. My proposal is that we see a Jesus who loves to wine and dine. Jesus seems as comfortable ministering in informal settings as He does formal settings. And in fact, if you read the Gospels, most of the time, transformational experiences that people have are taking place not while Jesus is in synagogue, but while Jesus is on the road or in someone's house. And guess what? He's got the lazy boy. Okay, metaphorically, he's got his feet kicking up, and I'm sure he's having a virgin rum and coke. I'm going home after this, so I'm alright. I don't, I don't have to come back next Sunday. That's another topic, We'll come back to Jesus in a second, but take a look at the new community in Acts. I want to talk about hospitality. The Spirit falls on the day of Pentecost, and what happens? They immediately start sharing with one another. People sell property as they have need, as people have need, and what probably happened when those first followers of Jesus come together on the day of Pentecost? Three thousand are saved, and it's expanding, expanding. A lot of these people are probably not desperately poor but probably are displaced. So if you know anything about culture at this particular point, maybe a more Middle Eastern culture, so one becomes a follower of Jesus. I become a follower of Jesus. And remember, that criminal just died a few weeks ago. We killed that guy. And you're going to align yourself with him. So for me to become a follower of Jesus would displace me from my family, which was connected to my livelihood which was connected to how I made my money. And all of a sudden, here you are, you're stuck. And hospitality was a critical need of the early people of God, that they would care for one another. Talk about outsiders and hospitality. The book of Acts is filled with people like, uh, if you go to the next slide there, Peter. Um, Hospitality, it's filled with stories like the Samaritans. The story of the Ethiopian eunuch. And Gentiles. I mean, do you guys ever read these stories and and maybe think about them in terms of hospitality? We don't want to go to those dirty, rotten, stinking Samaritans. Don't you know who they are? They have their own temple. They worship on their own mountain. We don't have anything to do with them. That's not very hospitable. We'll come to Peter and, and Cornelius in a moment. But Ethiopian and a eunuch. A double whammy. He's doubly ostracized. Not very hospitable. So how does it all work? I'm going to propose to you that we see a great reversal. Alright? I'm going to suggest to you that we see Jesus the guest becoming Jesus the host. And here's what I want to kind of allow to perk in your mind that this might become a model for us. You see, in first century society, when a guest would come to your home, it was your uttermost duty and the moralist talked about this it was your duty to make sure that this person was cared for to wash the feet to make sure that the person is comfortable to make sure that the person person is nourished to make sure that the person gets good rest to make sure that the person is entertained and ultimately when that person leaves to make sure that that person is refreshed and ready to go on the journey Jesus regularly goes to people's homes. And the expectation is, for these people, that when Jesus comes, He will be the guest. And those that He meets will be the host. They will provide for Him and send Jesus away refreshed. That's the way the culture works. That's the way our culture, in many ways, works as well. Same kind of idea. You don't send guests away hungry. They drive away and they go, what kind of, what was that all about? We were there from 3 in the afternoon till 10 o'clock. We didn't get anything to eat. I'm not going back. Okay, this was part, of, and, the, and the moralists were talking about this. But notice the reversal. And I'm going to show you only a few stories this morning. And these people, some of them are doing the right thing. Martha, Martha, do you remember the story? Why are you fretting? Martha! Martha's doing what a good host is supposed to be doing. The problem isn't with Martha. She is following her culture to a T. But Jesus says, and we're using a different kind of paraphrase here, Jesus says, you be the guest. You come and sit at My feet and allow Me to nourish you. Mary has chosen the better thing. You follow? Zacchaeus. And notice again, Jesus is comfortable whining and dining. I want to just play on this with you guys. You remember the little man in the tree? We learned that one in Sunday school. Zacchaeus. He goes up in the tree. And what kind of a vocation did Zacchaeus have? Anybody remember? Dirty, rotten, stinking tax collector. Sold his soul to the Romans. Right? He goes up. And he wants to see Jesus. And Jesus recognizes him, sees him and looks him in the eye, and says, today, Zeus, come on down. We're going to go to synagogue and I'm going to teach salvation to you. Thank you. Some of you got it. Today, we're going to dinner at your house. And he winds up going to Zacchaeus' house. And salvation comes to Zacchaeus in the house of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus would have been a great host. But somewhere during that evening, Jesus would have flipped the situation in that Zacchaeus' attention would have been so focused on what Jesus is saying and doing that it allowed for a transformational experience to take place. I'll come back to the Emmaus disciples in a minute. Talk about a taste of heaven for a moment the salvation banquet you guys ever wonder what heaven's going to be like read the gospels you know when i was a kid first thing was of most importance was that we get there and that i didn't sin 3 minutes before jesus came cuz so i'd miss the rapture right you know i remember going to a movie at 13 the shaggy dog and i was afraid i'd miss it you know, but then I was—I remember being at that age and actually thinking, "Do I really want to go to heaven?" Because all they do is sit on clouds and play harps all day. You guys remember some of those images, right? But what's heaven going to be like? This, the scriptures don't tell us very much, but I, I think there's some things that we can that we can grasp onto. Heaven's going to be a party; it ain't going to be boring. And given the diversity of human beings, given that God calls. All human beings into the kingdom of God. All cultures, all kinds, all races, all ethnicities. I just have this hunch, I have this feeling that when we get to heaven, we're going to be learning a lot about each other and that's going to include some food. And, you know, I mean, we can have all kinds of fun. Maybe we'll never get sick. I I could go forward, well, I'll leave that. But think about that. And you, you look at some of the parables that Jesus tells. Parables that talk about... The Great Banquet. These metaphors consistently that we hear of what the Kingdom of God is like. It's like a big party. It's going to be a feast. We're all going to come together and we're going to enjoy each other. That sounds good! How about sacred meals and hospitality? Let's talk about two scenes in Scripture. Not only is food critical, but food plays a very sacramental role or a sacred role in the way in which we encounter God. Again, allow me to think like 18, 19 year olds do here again, okay? So please don't get offended. Once a month in our churches, Pentecostal churches, we bring down the emblems and we celebrate the Lord's table. And you get a stale cracker and a little shot glass of grape juice. Why are you looking at me so mad? I mean, do you guys ever have that? Like stale? You go, Ugh. Ugh. Give me that juice so I can get it down. And if it's not even enough to get the cracker down. You guys have all had that feeling. Come on, don't look at me like that. Right? Hot day like that. You're, right? Now listen, here's the point. Catch the point that cracker and that glass of grape juice are way more meaningful than simply nourishing your body. There is an encounter with the living God that takes place through that cracker and the grape juice. There are moments, and you've all felt this, there are moments when I take communion and I'm so focused on God, I have no idea of what's going on around me. It's me and God. However, most of the time, and I think maybe I've trained myself to do this, most of the time when I take communion, my eyes are wide open. I'm looking around. I'm going, this is amazing. Look at all these people here. Look at where they've come from. Look at at their status. Look at their ethnicities. Look at the background. This is amazing. This is a picture of the kingdom of God. This is a picture of the beauty of what God is doing on our planet. And I'm celebrating in it. That's pretty good course you know the early church when they did this it was a full feast and conditions today it's pretty hard to have a meal every sunday though it's a good idea on occasion i like what you guys are doing but how about one more let me just talk about transformational concept of the lord's supper do you remember the story of jesus on the road to emmaus after his resurrection i wish i had a long time to tell the story but you remember it the two disciples are walking home and this guy comes up to him remember who it is jesus and they go jesus says hey guys what what are you so sad for and they look at jesus and say dude don't you know like come on are you that stupid we thought this jesus was the guy and what does jesus tell me about it what what happened isn't that funny bible's quite hilarious so you tell you know talking and notice what happens the day goes on The conversation continues as they go on the road. And what do these strangers do? What's their first action? Come and stay at our house. They're being good hosts, aren't they? It's getting dark. It's getting late. Come and stay in our house. We'll take care of you. They go to the house and they break bread. Did you hear it? It's exactly the way it says it. They broke bread and their eyes were open and they saw everything clearly. So as they're walking on the road, until they broke the bread, they had no idea that they were talking to Jesus. Their eyes were open. Let's go to synagogue and let me tell you who I am. I'll reveal myself. No, let's go to the house. Let's sit down and have a meal. And Jesus, the the guest, becomes Jesus, the host, and these guys' lives are transformed. I think we can learn from that. I think there's something really cool about that. Well, if that in mind... We go to a couple final things here. There's no room then for an F. If we get an F, if we fail in hospitality, as the church, we fail miserably. There's a few examples. Ananias and Sapphira. Remember that story? Whew. How much do you sell the land for? Wrong answer. Boom, Drop dead in Jesus' name. Ouch. A lack of integrity, a lack of responsibility with the people of God. So it's a very formative story. The Grecian, widi- the, the Grecian widows, remember this is in Acts chapter 6. The community's growing. The Grecian widows are complaining that they're being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. What did the disciples do? They picked seven men. And if you read it, they're all Greek names. That's pretty good leadership. They picked Greeks to take care of these Greek widows, and it seems like they get it all figured out, and they move on. The Word of God continues to increase. That's the end of the story. How about um, Peter? I call it Peter's conversion. I'm not the first to do so, but do you guys remember Peter's conversion? He's called to go to the household of Cornelius. Do you ever notice that story? Cornelius... You know, has this sense that, this, this vision that he's supposed to call for Peter. Well, yeah, sure. Go sends the guys. What does Peter do? I ain't ever sat in any Gentile's house like that and ate anything unclean. Why do you call unclean what I'm making clean? I ain't ever sat in anybody's house like that. This is Peter, guys. Can you imagine if Peter would have remained exclusive? If Peter would have got an F in hospitality? What impact this would have had on the mission to the Gentiles? And in fact, if you look at the story of Acts, what happens is one of the key issues is not the spirituality, a word that I don't like anyway, but not the the spiritual condition of the Gentiles, but how are we going to eat with them? We're Jews and they're Gentiles. And what was the conclusion of the church? Let's not make it difficult. Let's bring them in. And let's celebrate together. So there's no room for an F. Well, I want to end up with a few uh, reflections here. Here's some things for you to think about. A few ideas. First of all, there's no dichotomy between spirit and flesh. Pentecostals, we are notorious for compartmentalizing our lives. We talk about that which is spiritual and that which is ordinary, mundane. Listen, 99% of our lives are spelled ordinary. We get up in the morning, we shower, we put on our clothes, we go to work, we eat, we come home, we go to bed, we get up in the morning, right? Most of our lives are lived like that. And guess what? Jesus is just as interested in that part of our lives as He is in this gathering right here. Jesus is not interested in your spiritual life. He's interested in your life. In every part of our lives... He wants to be a part of that. He wants to commune with us. He wants us to be transformed wholly in that way. So maybe one of the first things we can do is think about decompartmentalizing our lives. Do you see eating as a spiritual experience? We'll unpack that more. How might we under- enlarge our understanding of Jesus' ministry? Both formally and informally. Just read the Gospel sometime. Just read Matthew or read Luke and just trace the ministry of Jesus. It's mind-boggling where he goes, who he eats with, who he talks to. Wow. You know, we do that stuff. We go and eat. We talk to people. But this is spiritual right here. Is it? Well, yeah. But isn't that spiritual? Are you following what I'm saying, guys? How about reflecting upon times when God spoke to you through informal gatherings? Now we get the rubber to meet the road here. This is hard. Sorry, Pastor Gary and Pastor Vern. You know, I grew up in the church, and I'm trying to think back to when I'm, say, 20 years old. I don't remember a single sermon from when I was under 20. And I went to church. You know, I cut my teeth on a pew. I don't remember a single sermon. Now, let's not talk about stopping sermons because through all those sermons, the Word of God began to take root in my life. And, uh, and stories, hearing them and, and learning them and, and, and just wrestling with them, that, that was critical. But I'll tell you what, I don't go back to a particular sermon and go, wow, that changed my life. When I look at my life, I can point back over and over and over again to having a conversation with someone, sitting at a table, and that person speaks into my life. And most of the time, get this, how radical is this? It's not radical because you know it, but we never think about it. Most of the time, I don't sit across from Vern and say, Vern, would we stop now and would you please speak into my life? doesn't happen that way does it it happens naturally it happens just just wonderfully natural and yet incredibly supernatural in that moment so reflect upon that think about how god has transformed your lives couple more real quick how might you embody the ministry of jesus through hospitality so if you can reflect upon ways that god has transformed you at various stages of your journey through people speaking into your life, through these informal, through hospitable acts, through food celebrations, how might you translate that into how you live the kingdom of God? Where you work. Where you go to school. Where you have coffee. Where you hang out. The team you play on. Are you following me? It's not that hard. It's pretty straightforward. We live our lives that way. And then how then might we live our lives more openly in the body and in the marketplace? Listen, one final thought on that. Is hospitality here does not necessarily mean that the person is in your home. Do you know people who live in a hospitable way? And yet you've never been in their home? Do you know people like that? Right? People that it's just like you see them, their eyes light up. You know, Hi! And, and if, even if their arms aren't open... The feeling is that their lives are open to you. How can we live more hospitably? In the church and in the marketplace. Food for thought. So that's your homework today. I want you to eat well. Is that good? We done? I guess we're done. How's the time? Pastor, we it Stop. You guys ready to eat? Sit down, preacher. Let's go have something to eat. Let's pray. Okay? God, you are amazing. You are a wonderful creator, a wonderful designer. You are a king of ex- ex- you are the, the, the God of extravagance and beauty and wonder. And by creating us in your image, you have gifted us with similar creative abilities, creative desires. I thank you that as we live our lives we are nurtured by you or nurtured by food but but creativity and um design and all these things are lived out the way we lead our lives as we eat together as we fellowship together i pray today god that you would uh, help us more and more prompt us and enable us to imitate you better to imitate the life of jesus to think about ways that we can encounter you through the everyday, through the ordinary. Those places where your presence is already already there, but so often we might miss them. I pray not only that, that you'd help us to find these places of encounter, to be open to them, but you would enable us to become like Jesus, to be the host in people's lives, that they might be postured to be transformed. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.